Hello, I'm Charles Mallet, and I have with me today John Cook, who is a fourth generation dairy farmer from Wiltshire in England. I should point out at this stage that if there's any disturbance to the audio or video quality of this, that's an indication of how broadband services are provided to the countryside in the United Kingdom. So apologies in advance if there are any glitches, but uh, that will reinforce the, the challenges that are faced by farmers today. Uh, there will be notes following this interview, and that will give detail uh, with regards to what John does, and also any links to things that are, that are mentioned at the end. So please go to ukcolumn.org for further detail. Now, John, thank you very much indeed for joining me as a guest for a UK Column interview. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I think for the viewers and listeners, let's just set the scene. So tell me, please, what is it exactly that you do do? How do you do it? And most importantly, why do you do it? Okay, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm, as you said, fourth generation farmer. Uh, we are actually uh, with raw milk producers. So we literally milk the cows and sell it to the consumer direct, uh, normally for the health benefits associated with that milk. Uh, we run a calf foot system, um, commonly referred to as cow-calf. And that means that we keep the cows and calves together for as, as, as most, pretty much as long as I think they need to be together. So minimum four months, but sometimes we've had them go up, through to, up to a year. Um, which isn't always very economically sensible, but um, my focus is always on the, the health of the animals and the well-being of the animals. Uh, we uh, only feed grass, so we see a species-appropriate diet. Uh, that's because it produces better food. If the old average, what goes in, what comes out, if you put in what's supposed to go in and then what comes out, it's going to be much better for everybody. We transition from a very commercial semi-commercial I suppose commercial system about five six years ago to the system we're in now so my yield is probably 10 percent of what it was six years ago um, and it's completely different way of farming completely different mindset as I like I said I sell all my milk direct now to the end user um, I don't have enough so we're in this strange position where we're doing exact farming exactly how we want to to farm, but literally can't get enough milk at the moment. That's an amazing, amazing story, and um, obviously, uh, although frustrating that you are unable to to match the demand, that's uh, that's a that sounds like a, a terrific success story in this day and age. Just tell me about what it was that pushed you to to make that change to convert from how you had been doing it to how you're doing it now. Okay, a lot of it's to do with my personal story. I, um, we do, uh, I'm a carnivore. I think, uh, you know, this, this, I started doing uh, blood tests about five, five years ago to find out basically where a private blood test to find out where my, my health lies. And I was a little bit shocked. I wasn't, I was diabetic, um, <clears throat> very overweight. I was on my, on a, on a highway to a heart attack and, I had to I had to change my lifestyle, my, my way of thinking about food. So I literally stopped carbs and sugar the next day when I had my uh, my blood test done. And 
it was a re- revelation to, to, for me. I lost um, five stone in six months. I was a little bit of a fatty before. And sadly, I didn't even think I was that fat, but clearly I was. Um, my, my weight doesn't fluctuate now. And <clears throat> it's interesting that my blood tests, I do still do regular blood tests. They pretty much are, are, are equalized and they're all in pretty much in, in good range. I, my brain fog went. Uh, so I, I realized that my personal species appropriate diet was meat, meat and animal fat, animal fat, animal protein. So lucky, I'm, I'm one of those really lucky people. I actually produce pretty much everything I eat. I'm really, I'm really lucky. Um, my food cost is, is, is virtually zero. I don't just don't have need to go to a, a, a shop or a supermarket. I just can go out to the freezer and get what, what I need. So I realized that, well, if I'm doing, if I've done that for myself, then my cows probably shouldn't be eating cereals, which is not something they would n- normally go to. The stuff, the stuff I was feeding my cows, soya and and all the other ingredients that go into the animal feeds that we were, we've been uh, as an industry feeding for, for quite a long time now, um, as, as waste products from the human market, it wasn't a species appropriate. So it changes the, 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 the meat, it changes the milk. And I was, I was shocked when I took my cows, when I stopped feeding cereals to my cows, they basically were in a strop for about five months. They, they, they wouldn't come to the milking parlor. I had cows coming into my face and mooing. They were addicted to the, to the carbohydrates as well. It was a, it was a bizarre time. And I, I nearly broke. I nearly said, well, Christ, let's just get some more because this is killing me because the milking was just, it, it was hideous. These milking always used to be fun because they would come in and, They'd fight to come in and they'd give loads of milk and exactly the opposite happened over that transition period before they realized they weren't ever going to get any any of their sweets. Their, their, it's, it's a drug. They were drugged just mm-hmm. like I was drugged. I was a complete carb addict. I mean, I, the food I could eat in a day was disgusting. The amount of foods, shortbread, flapjack, white bread, crisps, biscuits, just you know, pile it up. I only eat once. I have one meal a day now. I have about half a kilo of meat, a yogurt, and a pint of milk. And I, I run on that all day because yeah. that's all I need. I'm satiated. I'm never hungry. I never go through all those things. So I, I've, I've, I've transitioned my cows into, onto that as well. And on the back of that, you know, so we're just feeding grass. So our grass management has to be a little bit better. We have to, I mean, we haven't used fertilizers or sprays for, for quite a few years now um, just because it, it never felt right. And but just but a, a, it's really expensive. And I would far rather have more ground, rent more ground, and just not not apply the fertilizers and have a far more pure forage f- for the cows. So that's how that's how I got to where I got. So it's it's more to do with me actually than than, than mm-hmm. the cows. I I transition the cows onto onto my my diet, if you like, to make, to, be, to be species appropriate to them. Incredible insight into a personal journey, and there's a lot to unpick or unpack from that. Let's just go to the to the dietary side of it uh, for a second, because obviously that's a huge part of not just your life, but the cows as well. And really what you're describing, I think it would be fair to say, flies in the face of an awful lot of content that is now pushed out by mainstream media and indeed government. But the, the lobbying uh, against the exact position that you describe is is terrific so what was it that that effectively encouraged you to push on during that five-month period when the cows were were refusing to 
take part in the scheme. Yeah, they really didn't like it. They, um, uh, I think basically because I felt so much better when I changed, then I wasn't prepared to, it felt like I was poisoning them. Mm-hmm. I felt like a drug. I felt like a drug dealer. I was giving them their drugs, and I, I, I was having to uh, go through the withdrawal with them. Just, just in, in the same way I did. I mean, when I when I cut out carbs and sugar, I had a headache for two to three months, whilst my body adjusted to it. So I had I had empathy. I knew why they were why they were being so hideous to me, um, and so. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I did nearly break, but I knew that the end result would be much better for them. Um, so I, I just, I, I stuck with it. It's been the, the right decision for you and, and for, the, for the business side of it. Um, specifically on the product, the, the raw milk side of things, w- were you producing the raw milk prior to the change in diet or was that, was that a change also? No, we we were we produced raw milk before before I changed the diet. Okay. Um, and again, some of this was customer driven. We had a, a lady who was soya into- sorry, her baby was soya intolerant. So even if she if she ate soya and breastfed, she was the, mm-hmm. the baby was having a reaction. So we cut out soya um, a year before I stopped the the cereals altogether. Um, and uh, I don't even know much about milk. There's different uh, beta casein proteins. So A1, A2, I'm, I don't know if you've heard about the A1, A2. So uh, basically A2 is like the, um, the, the ancient, ancient cow, if you like, the cow that would originally would have been a, a, majority A2. Now, everybody can uh, process the A2 beta casein, but not everybody can process the A1. So as a result of selective breeding, the A1 became prevalent. So whereas a lot of people are saying they're milk intolerant, they're actually protein intolerant. So we uh, we had a customer come to us very early on when we started doing it and said, can I have A2 milk? Didn't even have a clue what she was talking about, looked into it. Then she said, can I buy you, can I buy a cow and you milk it for me? And I wasn't very keen on that. So I just went and bought, I went and bought five cows that were A2 and I used to milk those separately. Uh, and I'd milk them at the start of milk and we'd separate their milk. And, and we would, if anybody came to us and said they were milk, intolerant first of all we would give them the raw milk because lactose intolerance is actually uh, it's, it's quite funny because lactose intolerant people are the purebreds which is which is the the irony that they're, they're looked at as being you know oh you can't digest but actually we're not supposed to be able to digest lactose so as a genetic mutation i don't know how many thousands of years ago it allows humans to process pasteurized milk we shouldn't be able to so my milk has the lactase enzyme in it so if you're lactose intolerant you can drink my milk with absolutely no problem at all because you can digest it the the the, the enzyme is there to digest it so if they also have reactions to that then we put them on the a2 so we could work out whether people were lactose or a2 intolerant and, and there was a quite a large percentage were a2 intolerant or sorry a1 intolerant so they could they could have the a2 milk Part of that meant that we then only bred for A2. So in the last five years, we've just been breeding A2, A2 cows. So we, we are now producing A2 milk. So if we get anybody come to us, and that is a small amount of people that actually can't tolerate our milk, even though they think they've got milk intolerance, there's very few people that can't actually, can actually who find our milk. I think I've had three in five years that are genuinely, there's something in the milk that they can't tolerate. How, how incredible. John, just just... Go back a little bit and just explain, or at least, can we just set this in context of the the sort of the wider 
milk industry. And can you just explain a little bit about how milk that arrives on, say, a supermarket shelf has been treated and how that compares with what it is that you produce? And so obviously, you know, I understand what you're saying about the intolerances and whatnot. But just to give an idea of how far removed what you're doing is from, say, what might be described as conventional practice. Okay, yeah, conventional milking, um, which is something that I, I, I partook in a few years ago. So they are, so those farms are driven for yield. They are trying to get as much milk into the tank as possible. So that includes feeding their cows a very high starch, high protein, high fat diet, which makes the cows, so milk is effectively excess energy. So if you get the maintenance of the cow, uh, met then anything else you can get her to metabolize will will turn into milk or or, or meat and I mean that they are it, the farmers are incredible the the, the things that they can the, the manipulation they can they can uh, can do to the diets to, to get the cows to milk is is, is incredible and I, I, I say I, I always say this that people just think that it's industrial and it is it's, it's really hard on the cows but the cows the farmers, Certainly the farmers I know, they are really good farmers. They look after their cows. They really do care about their cows. They're, the cows are comfortable. They're, all, of their, all of their needs are pretty much met. They're, obviously, they're never hungry. They're, the water's good. The feet are good. The bedding's good. The environment's good. Um, but those cows are doing a marathon every single day. They are working really, really hard. And because of that, they break. It's just like they're just like athletes. You get a, a, a you know high performance athlete. They break. When they break, they break really badly. Um, so the reliance, not so much now, but was on antibiotics to keep these animals going. And, and, and all the all the agricultural livestock industry was the same. Especially pigs. Pigs relied on antibiotics quite a lot. And morally that's the wrong that's the, for me that's the wrong that's the wrong way to be doing to, to get cows to have to work that hard that you're reliant on the veterinary services to to to, to, to keep them healthy seems seems very wrong for me i like for, for milk yield i mean my cows probably give about two thousand liters a year that i can sell per cow the commercial guys are getting up 10 12 13 000 liters I mean, we are, our cows' jobs are, I liken it to um, donkeys on Western Beach as opposed to national hunt horses at Cheltenham. You know, they come out in the summer, they, want, they wander up and down a little bit, and then they go and have a nice winter off. Whereas the, the national hunt horses, they're training all the time and they're really, really up against it. So we are, I think we both have the same interest in the animal welfare, but my, my bent is quite, quite the other, other way. So I'm very low pressure. It's, it's all about giving the cow what they need to feel either fulfilled or, 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 or basically happy. Um, and I'm not saying the other farmers don't. I say I really have to make, uh, ascertain that the other farmers are doing a really good job. They're, 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 they're micromanaging on, on the, uh, like the cow, cow, calf welfare, for instance. You know, they, uh, the, the calf comes out, they, they give it, they actually will make sure it has enough colostrum. They will put it in an individual pen when that calf is, is eating enough milk. They will put it into a larger pen of maybe five calves, and then they, they build up. So they have got complete control, and that, those animals are so well looked after. Uh, I, I, so I can't, I, 
it always it always it always feels like what I'm doing is is rubbishing the other side, and I'm not at all. It's they are producing a product for a market, and they are under so much pressure to uh, produce it at a price. And basically, it's the it's the cost of production. I mean, maybe a penny over every now and then, but pretty much they are beaten down continuously. I I couldn't I I don't think I could morally be in that in that market anymore. Just even for just stress that they would put me under. Um, I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's abhorrent that food is so cheap when you go to any farmer. I mean, they don't have t- much time off. They're working all the time. They're going out at two o'clock in the night calving cows and they don't have weekends off. They don't have pensions paid. They're working really hard to produce food. And it feels like the supermarkets, and it is driven by the supermarkets because they are just price competing all the time, just completely drive the price down to the absolute bare limit. They are literally brinkmanship. So they are saying, right, what can we get away with paying? If we can get away with paying 30 pence a litre to the farmers, let's do it. Oh, well, the fuel starting to go bust. Well, okay, let's make it 32. That's how it feels. And it's supposed to be in a, in a, in a global, we're on a global market for fat, but we're on different layers playing fields what the farmers have to do over here in 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 certainly this this side of europe is is completely different what they were doing in south south america where they're going to win or or even some parts some parts of uh, eastern europe um the welfare standards are completely different and yet we're on that market we're told we've got to do all this stuff we're told we've got to do carbon um what do they call it mapping or, or whatever and try to reduce our carbon whereas everybody else is just carrying on as they were Pumping it, mm. pumping it out. Pop obviously in the Netherlands. They're obviously on, on a backlash, and you know, going on for on onto the Netherlands. It just feels like that's that's the way that the powers that be are trying to drive it. They're trying to drive all the farmers out of business because how do you control a nation? You control it by its stomach, and you've got yeah. people desperate to to you've got people that are, that are desperate for food. They'll do anything, absolutely anything, and that's yeah. that's why I feel so. Certainly from my for, from my point of view. I am very much, let me put it this way, my Narnia would be a farm like us, 20 around every town. And you're, you're, mm-hmm. the, the people would just run out, pick up some milk, meats, p- pick up some milk and go back again. So not, right. not a 15 minute city or anything like that, but having the food sources really close makes perfect sense for your carbon mm-hmm. footprint, if nothing, if nothing else, but also... Food security, food security. We are we are on the edge continuously. We have a if we have a big weather event, and it, I, I, I'll be honest with you, it does scare me though because we had um, beasts in the east uh, many years ago. It was five six years ago, and we, the, my little village, near Swindon, didn't have any milk for two days. So we put a shout out saying we've got milk. If anyone wants to come, and it became a little bit of a let's go to the farm and get some milk. And isn't it jolly? And we all have fun. And have snowball fights on the way and. And it, it was a it was a busy time for us, and it was a good time for us to put us on the on the on the on the map for our business. But after everybody went, and of course they went back to the supermarkets because it was con- convenient for them. I said to Sarah, I said, "That's really scared me," because I remember weather events where we were off school for a week, and the, t- the milk tanker couldn't get in. What are these people going to do if we have a two week event? they're going to have no food because they go to every, every week to the supermarket. And I've said to subsequent people, um, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to a, a husband and wife and, and, and like they've got two children. I'm saying, you're, so your, your wife is telling you 
you need to go and find food. These kids haven't eaten for a week. They're screaming their heads off. You're the man. Go and find some food. And I would say to the man, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to find food? And mm. it's, I don't yeah. know. So they have yeah. no idea either how to hunt or, or grow their own. And it's not their fault. Absolutely not their fault. This, 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 is a, this is a result of a convenience society where everything is, is provided. I mean, you go into the supermarket, you've just got a plethora of colour and it's all just, you're, mm. you're driven down all the alloys and, and you're, you're supposed to have five of these a day. And you're, yeah, you're, it's it's, it's um, a psyops. They're just telling you what to do all the time. Yeah. Just on that, and, and spe- just specifically back to the, the product, when people do go into a supermarket and they are selecting milk that's, in, for the most part, uh, homogenized and pasteurized and or skimmed or semi-skimmed or any of that, what, what, what are those processes and how do you perceive them as having affected the, the product itself? And indeed, what would the effect be on the person consuming such a thing, in, in your opinion? Well, on that basis, I would never drink pasteurized milk. I wouldn't even drink my own pasteurized milk. <laughs> that's how uh, that's how I feel about it. So, uh, pasteurization is basically heating up to at least. Well, w- when we pasteurize our milk, we go to sixty three degrees for 30, 30 minutes, um, and then we cool it back down again. That's the least harmful way. You you're not destroying, you're not completely destroying all of the enzymes, as I understand. You're not denaturing the proteins. Um, it's the reason they did pasteurization, and it was it was it was for a justified reason. So, turn of the 18th century, when the industrial revolution came, people started moving into town. There was no milk in town. They couldn't get the milk from the country to the town because they didn't have the refrigeration or all the or the sanitary conditions to be able to transport it. So, they did the other thing. They put the cows into town. Well, there's no grass in town, so they started feeding the cows bakery waste, brewery waste. Um, just basically anything that they could get their hands on, which, which was already in town. Well, it effectively made the cows into a state of acidosis, so stomach ulcers. And milk in its in its raw form, if if it's fed, uh, if the cows are fed a species appropriate diet, grass, then raw milk has its own pathogen inhibitors in it. So you can basically uh, like things like E. coli and salmonella aren't good competitors. So it. So the good bacteria will outcompete the bad bacteria. So raw milk in its in its in its proper state actually is inherently safe, as long as the, all the processes to get the milk to the to the bucket is is um, are, are correct. So what was happening in town? This, these cows were producing this awfully toxic milk, and people were getting ill from it. So it wasn't the as always. It's not the cow; it's the how. So mm-hmm. they pasteurized it to kill all the bad bacteria that was out competing because there, there wasn't any pathogen inhibitors in it. Um, so it made sense. And that's just continued. Whereas they haven't actually, it's really old science, which, which needs updating. But the dairy industry mm-hmm. is so, pa- so powerful. It's such a big industry. Yeah. And there's so much milk products in so many different items. That there's no way that the, that the powers to be will allow, allow it to go on. So you're asking about the process. So pasteurization that I, we do here, 63 degrees and then down um in the more fast speed commercial systems i think like i don't quote me it's 72 72 degrees for three minutes and and then if you want to go to ultra high it's 90 something for for seconds well that pretty much destroys all the good things in 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 the milk so the enzymes you need to 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 digest it the the proteins uh the denatured um the the vitamins are made 
basically un, un, uh, we can't we can't simulate them in, in our bodies um the next thing they do well actually we may they may do this before is is homogenization now the homogenization process is uh, as you remember fat will rise because it's a it's a lighter uh, lighter density um so the milk will separate and if you have, have milk separate, so it's the cream at the top and then the milk in the bottom, when you go to empty that vessel, you'll get, you're going to get residual fat sticking to the outside of the, of the, of the bottle, the, the, the silo, whatever it may be. That's really hard to clean. It takes a lot of energy to clean it off. Whereas if you homogenize, so you smash the fat globule so it stays in suspension all the time, you don't get anything to stick to the outside. Now, my point of from my point of view, I think it was the dairy industry worked out that actually it's much easier and cheaper to clean all their equipment without the fat in its pure in its pure form. So they told the housewife, "You need a standardised product, so you don't need to have to shake your bottle." And and they they sold it that way. But actually, I don't I don't believe it for one minute that the housewife even had any opinion on it because you just take what you get, don't you? <laughs> they wouldn't even thought they needed to have a a, a, a standardised product. So the homogenization with smashing up the fat globule to it's so small and stays in suspension. When you consume that milk, that fat globule was designed to take the uh, all all the all the good bits of the of the of the milk into the lower intestines. Actually, protected it from the stomach to go into the lower intestines. But what's happening is going straight through the stomach wall. So you're getting a glycemic high from the milk. That's not how our bodies are supposed to to assimilate this food. Is we are supposed to digest it in the lower intestines. And when it gets taken to the lower intestines, it feeds your joints, it feeds your brain. So uh, arthritis, Alzheimer's, dementia, all of those things that our brain, our joints need are in the milk when it's digested in the lower intestines rather than straight to the stomach wall. Uh, we have, we have uh, parents with ADHD children, and this, is, this, is, uh, this still blows me away. If they have shop-bought milk before they go to bed, they basically can't sleep. If they have ours, they sleep. And it's because of the way the sugars are delivered. Uh, we even had one doctor prescribing his diabetic patients to come and get our milk because of the way the sugars were delivered. So they weren't getting a glycemic high, so it wasn't affecting their, their, their blood sugars. And, I mean, I've got so many people that come here for health benefits. Well, when, 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 not long after we started, we did a survey on our customers because we thought that you know, the way we're farming was going to be the selling point. So, you know, low stress, keeping cows and cows together, grass only. The reason people came was for gut health. They were coming for selfish reasons, nothing to do with what we were doing. What, when they found out what we were doing, it's just, of course, that's really good. Um, and that's a, that's a bonus. But they would come because they had IBS or, 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 or they were constipated or the other, uh, the, the opposite. And it... Just by having our, our milk, it's solved or certainly soothed a lot of those issues. Um, eczema, asthma. I remember we had one lady who was on two sorts of asthma. Uh, I say this isn't medical advice. This is this is ac- uh, anecdotal stuff that I, I can I can I can attest to that she was on a, a blue inhaler and a brown inhaler, and I don't know which one's one steroidal, one's for emergency. And within a week, she was off them completely. Now the doctors told her she'd be on them for the rest of her life. So her diet was giving her a histamine response. And she was having to take these just because of what she was eating. She was having asthma. And we had a guy come. His, his, his eczema was so bad. It was so sad to see. But when, he, when he opened his mouth, it's like it was cracked. It, like, it, looked like, it looked like the Joker from Batman. It was horrible. His mm. face was just like crusty and his hands were crusty. And within a month, that had all, they hadn't uh, so much healed, but it was like that pink 
uh, you know, like, like pink skin like you get under a blister. And he brought his son out and said, show John your hands. And he, had, he showed me these hands and they were, the whole pads, the, the, like the palms were completely pink, purple, sorry. I'm colorblind, I struggle with color. And um, I went, oh, that looks really painful. And he went, no, last week they were weeping. He was having to wear gloves to bed because he was mm. like literally taking the skin off and they were, he could play normally as a child within, within, within a few weeks. And that makes a completely, people, people have asked me why I do what I do. And that's why I do what I do. Because I have people that rely on me for their health. I've had people mm. say, you can't stop doing what you're doing, John, because I'm, I'm ill without your food. Mm-hmm. I, got one, yeah, one guy two, I got one guy travels two and a half miles to come and, to come and buy our milk. That's like two and a half hours to come and get our milk. From the way you describe it, I, I suppose I should say I, I'm not surprised. And yet, what's your response to the, to, to in effect, the narrative? I mean, reading the what the Food Standards Agency have to say about raw milk, you'd think that you'd think that you were handling nuclear waste. They they write that uh, they have a section on their website saying describing how they're protecting people who choose to drink raw milk, uh, suggesting that they should be in control of people's personal risk and choice perhaps. In Scotland, of course, uh, raw milk and cream are completely banned. The CDC in America describes raw milk as being one of the riskiest foods. How do you think it's come to that? And what, what's, your, what's your feeling on the way that will push either the industry or the consumer? Basically, don't Google raw milk. <laughs> Use yeah, a different search absolutely. engine. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've actually got a very good relationship with the Food Standards Agency. We set up an organization called Raw Milk Producers Association, which I'm one of the founding directors of. And we have a really good communication link with the Food Standards Agency. The Food Standards Agency is a, is a massive organization, which is a, is a, is a very, very slow um, ship to turn. But we are in constant dialogue with them. That their end, Their end game is the same as ours we want healthy we want people to produce really good quality clean healthy raw milk so that our consumers can have the benefits from it um there's lots of legislation that is mm-hmm. to be honest with you completely bonkers uh, and you read the rules they make no sense at all like we can't we can only sell raw milk from the, the farm gate we're not allowed to even if i go over like a foot over my boundary and try and sell it that's that's illegal um we're, we're, we're subject to lots of testing, which is fine. We have no problem doing the testing. So obviously this gives the, the customers confidence, but the, um, the, the, maybe the, the levels they're set at aren't, uh, they're not based on any science. They're just like somebody said, well, let's, let's make that figure 100. There's no, you know, when I was growing up, the milk that I drank from my, my father's cows, I wouldn't even be allowed to put onto a tanker now that would have been that classed as that dirty. I'm 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 very rarely ill. My sisters were never ill. You know, we 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 okay. We may have built up immunity to anything that was in that milk, but reality is, if your immune system is challenged on a on a on a on a regular basis, then you're going to have your your immune response is already sorted out. I spoke to one of my customers who was a, I think he was a microbiologist, and he was talking about the immune system. How you build your immune system up to the age of about fourteen. 
and it, it doesn't learn much after that. It can learn, but it, it, it's those. So the, the old wise tale adage of eat a pound of shit before you're uh, before you're you know, you're out your teens. He said, actually, do you know what? It's, it's absolutely right. The more you can get the kids into the soil and mm-hmm. subject there, then then much better their immune system will be. And he was actually modelling for the government a. Um, they were talking about a, 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 he he was doing a projection of if there was a uh, a bacterial outbreak. And how it would affect uh, the population, and he—he's he actually quite scary. He said there will be a whole section of the society that will be wiped out. And he was talking about the breeding age kids, and he called them the dental kids, the dental era kids, where the mothers yeah. were told clean everything within an inch. You know, ninety-nine percent kills ninety-seven percent germs. You know, wipe your hands, wipe your hands, wipe your hands. And he said that whole era, so people up to uh, 45, 50, uh, that have been subjected to this sterilization will be the biggest uh, lot, the, the biggest um, victims of, the, of this if, it, if anything like that happens. She so said you'll have a twofold reduction in population. You'll have that 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 breeding age, and then you have uh, so then you'll be left with young people and the older people. Well, obviously the older people then disappear. He says so it will be a two. It could be quite catastrophic for the population. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we have been sterilized. Our whole lives we've been told we're going to cook all the food to within an inch of its life um, before it even gets to your, to your home. And then we're going to tell you to wipe every surface down. So we don't have that natural immunity. So when if, if you are a raw milk producer and you're following all the rules and the protocols, you're going to be producing healthy milk. There won't be any problem. Our problem comes when somebody who is farming decides they want to just sell a little bit on the side under the table and it makes somebody ill because the ha- that's the headline. Raw mm-hmm. milk makes somebody ill and it's not the Food Standards Agency approved producers. It's somebody else. The media just takes that, that, that headline and runs with it. And then, mm-hmm. then it gives it everything that the, the, the bad every good producer the bad the bad rep so that's why we're working as much as we can with the food science agency to to make it as safe as, as safe as we can and and we've just we're just in the process of starting up with the raw milk producers association a supporters page because there are a lot of people that have great benefits from the from from raw milk and it's constantly under threat because of the bad science so we're, we're trying to, like I say, we work really closely with the food standards and we're trying to make, make that, make raw milk as safe as possible. I mean, raw milk producers are, are diminishing in numbers. It's, it's really sad. When I started, I think there's nearly 200. There's about 120 now, I think, in the country. Um, and that's really sad to see. Uh, the, the, and it's, it's, the, it's got a lot to do with the... Uh, the process that we have to go through now. So before it was up to the food standards agency to prove that we were doing it correctly. Now it's up to us to prove we're doing it correctly with the food standards agency, with a food management safety system, um, which they come and review every six months. And a lot of farmers just want to farm. They do not want to be st- stuck in the office doing paperwork. I, I personally don't thank God Sarah can do it. <laughs> I, I find it very tiresome. And it, in, in many ways it's, um, you need to know it but on a daily basis. It actually doesn't make any difference at all. It's a, it's a tick box, health and safety, risk assessment form that we all have to, to go through just to make somebody with a clipboard a little bit happy. 
but the the inference is on making sure that that food if you if, you, if you're producing raw milk for the right reasons then it's not going to be a problem if you're just trying to do it as a cash cow in very much the same as the organic if you can you can be organic but farm quite in, inorganically um, but just sell it with the extra the extra price tag attached so um it's it's an interesting it's an interesting time where i i, I mean i'm very much a great believer and i'm sure your 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 listeners will be that my the contract with the food producer should be direct so if you want to see how your food's produced come see me i'll show you i'll show you the cows i'll show you what they've eaten what they what you know come come and see the cow you're going to eat come and see the cow that you're going to have the milk from um that's the contract and that should be that's the responsibility of those two people when you take when you've taken the 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 link away so what happened years ago milk when the milk marketing board started Jigama started for very good reasons. It took the consumer away from the farmer. So the, the value of that goods diminished because when our grandparents would have had the milk, the local farmer come up with his horse and cart and you would have dipped, literally dipped, he would have dipped a ladle in and how many quarts do you want today? He would have said to that customer, oh, what a crap day today. I had such a cow dye was so wet or things are great the cows are milking really well and on a daily basis that perception of value would have been increased so the housewife would have spent quite a lot of money on milk in proportion to her daily uh, allowance if you like and and the same would have gone for for, for meat and vegetables because it would have been locally sourced and you would have had contact with that producer so you were invested in your food and that's what my customers basically do they they as they're not just buying milk. They're buying the process. They're buying a little bit of me. They're buying the contact. You know, so many of my customers just say things like, oh, I've got a friend who's a farmer. And I'm that friend. And they can then link. So their food, when they when they describe their food to other people, it's not just, I bought some milk. I know I bought some milk from a raw milk producer and he does this and he does that. And, you know, he's really kind and friendly and he'll interact with us and he wants to show us the cows. And, man, that's a completely different market than going into a shop and just picking up a bottle when you pick up a when you just pick you're picking up a bottle of probably i don't know 40 50 60 cows didn't hurt six maybe 50 60 didn't hurt all but just put into a into a big silo mixed up there's no um tangible link to where that food comes from and if you don't have that tangible link then it becomes the, the value is only on the price tag which is why the supermarkets do the bucket price list. So the, the, the bread's the same, uh, all, all of whatever is in the basket, I don't know, <laughs> but I know milk is one of them. And they just try to, you know, these five items, you can buy at 20 pence less from this supermarket rather than that supermarket. It's, it's, they've they've demand, diminished the value so much that it's become such a commodity that, well, for instance, you know, I, I think you used to be able to buy two litres of milk for a pound in one of our, our local supermarkets. Well, my milk is now two pounds fifty a litre. It's still too cheap. It should be more. Some of my customers pay three pounds. That's because they 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 they, they volunteer that. But um, the value is completely different. Completely different. They they're looking at my food as a health food. My my food, my meat, my milk will keep them out of hospital. And when you're buying your health, it's a completely different mindset than just buying fuel to get you to the next to the next meal 
No, because if you thought like that, you'd never buy a dip meal deal. You'd never go and buy a packet of crisps, a fizzy drink, and a chocolate bar because you're going to feel hungry in two hours and you're going to have to go and re- refill. I mean, that, that, that's the, it's a brilliant business model. Absolutely brilliant because they, 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 they give you a high, a high, high carb food. So you're, you're spiking your insulin, your, your blood sugar then, then drop. You think, you think you're hungry when you're not. And so you just go in this, this awful cycle. I used to, I used to eat every two hours. If I didn't know where I was going to be in two hours, I would take food with me. And now if I don't eat for 24 hours, it doesn't matter. The other day I did 36 and it doesn't, wasn't because I was, I was starving myself. I just, it didn't fit in with what I was doing. I had a very late night and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to go to bed. There's, there's no point. There's no point eating now. And I, I survived. Yes. I had maybe something that the following morning, a yogurt or something like that. But then I went through to, to the next, you know, to my normal evening meal. It's a great business model where you just keep feeding crap and you just keep feeding hungry. They, 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 they the, the, the powers that be, don't like what we're doing. They don't like what we're doing because people don't eat crap and they don't get ill. So, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, these days, there's no, there's no profit in a, in a satiated, uh, a satiated human that isn't ill. Because if, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical company and the fake food industry will do very badly, their profits will diminish. Indeed. And, that, and that's what I was going to come on to, because, you, you know, you do speak with such conviction and, and assurance and knowledge on this. But you also refer to bad science. And I think it would be fair to say that in the years since 2020, we've seen how opposing views, particularly within the sort of scientific forum, have been, in effect, shut out. Have you found with with what you're describing, particularly on the health benefit front of not just raw milk, but the, but the other dietary uh, programs you're talking about, are there people within the scientific community who are either willing to stand up and, and support your position or indeed able to in, in terms of finding funding and the channels within which to publish? No, that's easy. No, there's not. There's no money. There's no money for for, for any research. This is, again, this is why we're trying to, as a raw milk producers association, try to we're trying to to to, to focus some of that that research onto it. But like I said earlier, the dairy industry is such a strong industry. The pharmaceutical company yeah. is such a strong industry that any scientist, well, let's face it, most of the science for the last few years have been funded by the people that are going to profit from it. So of course they found out that you know, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, it's it's, 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 it's they're even telling you, you know, sponsored by Pfizer. Um, they're even telling you that, that they bought the media, but uh, people are still prepared to. Uh, anyway, that's, that's again, that's a different subject. That's not what we're talking about. But the the um, the I have a lot of anecdotal evidence about the health benefits of raw milk. I'm not allowed to tell anything, and in my marketing, I'm not allowed to claim any health benefits yeah. at all. You appear to have had little trouble i mean i'm not i'm not meaning to uh, dismiss the obviously the incredibly hard work that it must have taken to get to this stage but you have obviously convinced your buying public that what they are doing is the right thing for all sorts of reasons how in the wider context are people to be convinced of what you speak that's really hard and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday because if you'd have said to me five years ago, you'll never eat sugar again, I would have said to that person, I'm going to rip your face off in two hours because I'm going to need it. 
So I have great empathy for the people that are addicted to carbohydrates and sugar and the the the, the NHS system. Um, and like I said about doing our survey, people come to us when they've gone through the NHS system, they've gone to the doctors, they can't find a cure for their um, acid reflux or their skin complaints or their asthma and they've just read a snippet somewhere on the internet that raw milk helped this one person and then they come to us they try it and they get they're just like completely bowled over I, ibs is probably the biggest one ibs i think the the results we've had with ibs has been incredible and one of my neighbors as one of my neighbors I, I, when she first moved in she was on six emodium a day as a maintenance dose and within a month she was off them completely she actually came to me in the, in the milking parlor one morning and um, said, John, I've had onions. I had onions last night for my tea. I went, that's, that's really good. Well done. She went, I've still got them. And that is amazing. And so it's a 20 minute trigger for her. So many foods were a 20 minute trigger. And just being able to have a, a glass of milk in the morning, glass of milk. And that's what we say. Treat it as a medicine. If, you, if, you, if you've got diet, uh, dietary issues or skin complaints, have a glass in the morning, glass, make it the first thing, the last thing you do in the day and the symptoms go away. And um, I, don't, I can't remember I was going, going with that. Uh, I can't remember what your question was now. <laughs> well, it, it was to do with, with, in effect, sowing in people's minds the sense that what they're going to be doing in, in consuming raw milk is a good thing as opposed to something that's going to kill you. So, but, but really, yes. it's the you know it's it's that belief, or at least people being able to see outside of what they're being relentlessly told by the mainstream media, and how you know how are you able to communicate that message and indeed reinforce it because it's this whole thing of bad science and the condemnation of anybody suggesting anecdotally, like you are, that this can be a good thing. Yeah, and we we uh, that, that's what I was alluding to. We find that people will come to us when they've come to the end of all the other roads. Um, trying to convince somebody if, 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 if you've been told for so many years that raw milk's going to kill you, it's dangerous. Um, your diabetes isn't reversible. You're, you know, you're just going to have to take inhalers for the rest of your life. You're just going to have to take Imodium for the rest of your life. That's just the way it is because there's no vested in, in, interest in anybody curing that. I mean, it seems to me very much like the medical industry are just, symptom solvers rather than curers there's no there's no there's no profit in a cure patient is there let's face it mm -hmm. and so it's very difficult to go at somebody in the street and say you should drink raw milk because it'll make you better it'll keep you out of hospital because they just they they've already got so ingrained beliefs that it's bad for you getting through I don't know. It's, it's, it's very much a case that they have to come to us. I think we put the information out, but they have to they have to come to us. It's very hard to to to, to you know. This, this is a perfect forum for for people to, to to pick away at that that mindset that if you get ill, you go to the NHS. I don't want to go anywhere near a doctor. As far as I'm concerned, I know a lot more about my health, my diet, how it's helped me. Um, you know, if you go to a diabetic nurse, they say have a balanced diet. You know, absolutely bloody not. You know, if you if you got like, cut the sugars out, cut anything processed out, they don't say it, just have a balanced diet. Go to Weight Watchers, and you know, I've I've seen what they. Anyway, um, different story. Um, I mean, the whole balanced diet thing is is a complete myth. It's not even a myth; it's a it's a lie 
dreamt up by the supermarkets. Five a day is a lie dreamt up by the supermarkets. Where in history, apart from the very modern history, this far north, uh, in, in like the northern hemisphere, would we be in anything but animal fat, animal protein from now right through till, till March? There's no bloody fruit on the trees, is there? There's, you know, there's, there's nothing to eat. So um, I did a DNA test to find out where my heritage lies because I thought that was important too. So I am slap bang in the middle where my heritage lies. Sarah's blonde hair, blue eyes. She's very much northern, like Scandinavian. Well, we wouldn't have eaten any fruit or any vegetable matter during the, the, the hard times, during the winters, which were, let's face it, a lot harder back you know, a few thousand years ago. It's only mm. been the last second of our evolutionary story that we've eaten processed carbs and, and fruit every day of the year. And, you know, I mean, the amount of fructose that I used to consume was ridiculous. And no wonder I was fat because I was completely... I read a book on vitamin D and it, it, uh, Jeff Bowles, his name is, and he, he did uh, experiments on really high levels of vitamin D. And he basically says, tells you the story of why vitamin D affects our bodies and why we go into like the SAD syndrome, the seasonal adjustment disorder. And it all, it's, it's all basic um, biology, really. So as soon as the sunlight diminishes, get to the equinox, we start to feel depressed. We eat more because that's our, that's our precursor to a lean time. So we're supposed to eat the fructose in the, in the spring and autumn. Um, and do less so we can preserve our body mass through the lean period coming into the next next season of abundance. So we shouldn't eat fruit every day. If, if you've got northern northern genes, you should not eat fruit every second day of the year. And you shouldn't eat bananas and kiwi fruit and uh, mangoes and all the stuff that's got such high fructose. You know, if, if I ever do eat fruit, and I, I, I tend not to, it would be um, blueberries, bra- raspberries, strawberries. But even then, they are... They've been genetically engineered to be much sweeter, much more, much higher fructose. So our mm-hmm. bodies, when we are presented with fructose, we put on weight. It's the, it's the natural order of things because the fruit would only be available in that season for somebody this north. So that's so our response to fructose is to put on weight. That's the whole point of insulin to actually like put the fat mm-hmm. into our cells. And when you realise that we we are dual fuel. Um, burners but we would only we only we, we only store the fat for the lean period but we never have a lean period anymore so that's why five a day is complete rubbish balanced mm-hmm. diet is complete rubbish because what's your balance if i say to you what's your fat protein ideal mix what's your carbohydrate how much carbohydrate should you have nobody has an answer because it's it's complete it's just a it's just a thing that's chucked out there nobody i know the answer mm-hmm. so they eat a balanced diet which is completely not not balanced for for their for their genetics. My, my, my when I just eat animal fat animal protein, I'm having a balanced diet. I, I can prove that with my blood. So I can prove that with my energy levels. My brain fog's gone. My weight doesn't fluctuate. You know, I can. I'm eating right for my body type, for my genes, for my ancestral diet. Um, so the, the 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 science is skewed to the people that are trying to uh, that are actually doing the research and and and. It's, it's, I mean, science is, is bought now, isn't it? So it's, it's a very much a case of you need to really start looking at the, the basics of the fundamental basics of life will give you all the answers you need. Like my dogs, my dogs just eat chicken carcasses, basically, and any other rubbish they can, they can find around. I only feed them five days out of seven because dogs don't eat 
wheat and sweet potato and all this other stuff that makes their poo slimy and sticky and gives them diabetes. I mean, dogs shouldn't get diabetes. That's just absolute bonkers. Mm. I, my, my dog's teeth don't need cleaning because the bones are cleaning and massaging their, their, their jaws every day. So I keep feeding my dogs a species-appropriate diet so they don't go to the vet. I don't get inoculations. They're healthy, you know? Yeah. So I think yeah. as a, a try, tr- trying to get through to, to look, the, the initial question was try, how do we convince the people that, you know, the, just on the raw milk, that it's a good idea. When the science and the media are so driven in one direction, the narrative is so strong, people only come to us when they come to the end of that tether and go, right, I need to look for something else. Um, mm-hmm. the, the NHS is a brilliant organisation, but completely abused. There's no personal responsibility for our health anymore because I'm going to get ill. I'll just go to the NHS. I'm pretty much likely to get cancer. I'm pretty much likely to get arthritis and dementia. You can you can avoid most of those things, cancers mm-hmm. especially. You know, one of my one of my bugbears and one of my things I really want to do and I, I must get around to doing is having a having a Mac- Macmillan coffee morning with no sugar because sugar feeds yes. cancer. The irony of having cake stalls. And again, they're not doing it because they, they just, it's, it's just pure ignorance. They don't understand that the cancer feeds the, the, the sugar feeds the cancer. And now they are pushing it more and more, more you know? It just mm. makes no sense to me at all. And I just want to smack some bells around there and go, you know, sort it out. You can, you can, you can affect how your body deals with cancer. We've all, we've all got cancer in us all of the time. Our bodies are naturally um, taking those cancer cells out. We are, we are full of cancer because that's just the, the, the nature of things. The fact that we're low on vitamin D, the fact that we eat all the time, so there's no autophagy where your, your body eats those those cells. Three meals a day is complete. I mean, you shouldn't eat three meals three meals a day because your body can't go through its natural processes. But whereabouts in history would we have eaten three times a day? Well, only since they provided food that gives them profits. Years ago, you would yeah. you, Families would have eaten, they would have eaten just what they killed. Um, and they probably would have eaten once a day in the evening, round of campfire. So mm-hmm. we didn't have all these diseases because they're, 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 they're a result of a modern diet. Well, duh, work out that we don't need the, the, the modern diet. The modern diet is killing, all, mm-hmm. killing us all. But it's also making mm-hmm. a lot of people very, very, very profitable. So my, my inference, my, my, I think my whole look on life is trying to go back to basics, just try and make it as basic. Make the animals, give the animals as much of a natural existence as they can. It's clearly, it's not a natural existence. Of course, it's not. But I can, I can give them the diet they need. I can give them the the, the low stress systems they need, and then the off, the, the they they pay me back by producing food that is very high in um, protein and and, and nu- nutrient dense, density. Um, and you know, when when you eat my meat. That sounded bad. When you when you when you consume my meat, you're you don't need anywhere near as much because the quality of the protein from grass fed meat is so it's such high. It's, it's like it's like going to a really fancy restaurant and you get this little portion. You think I got to stop at the fish shop on the way back because that's never going to fill me up. You eat it and you can't eat anything more. You couldn't even do a pudding because it's such rich, high quality food. And it's the same with my same with the, with the meat that I produce. And there's there's loads of grass fed producers around. And anybody that's anywhere just just put it into your search engine grass-fed meat near me and just go and buy some grass-fed meat and find out how the quality differs from what you're buying from the commercially available high starch fed high cereals fed fed, fed meat 
it's like the it's like the bodybuilder they they get all muscly but the muscles have not actually got much quality whereas you go to weightlifter you're going to get a lot more a lot more density in, in the muscle and I mean, I've had people buy our mints and just go, God, we couldn't eat it all. You know, normally we would just eat all that and it would be gone. But my husband said, I can't face any more. And because our bodies naturally, when we have, um, our bodies recognize protein, that's what makes us satiated, protein and fat. When we eat protein, protein and fat, you can't overeat meat. It's virtually impossible. You can overeat carbohydrates because there's no natural link for your body to say stop. Because that would have been our time when we needed to put weight on. So the carbohydrates would have been available during summer, autumn, ready to put the fat on, ready for the lean period. But you eat animal fat, animal protein, you can't overeat. It's impossible to do it. Try it. You know, try and have four or five burgers and see how far you get. And then, and, and then weigh that out in, 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 a, in, a, in an equivalent carbohydrate weight. And you'll, you'll get those biscuits down your throat, no problem at all. But you won't get yeah. that, that weight in meat. And yet, as you say, the, these are the sorts of messages that are not getting to the consumer and much of what you describe, you know, industry pressure and that from legislation, guidance, policy, all the rest of it means that these, these sorts of things are obviously very, very difficult for you and those who are doing similar things to you uh, are to, to actually get out to the public. Um, going back to, the, to, to sort of your position as a farmer, but also within the farming community, what other, if any, sort of ideological pressures do you feel from the sort of activist lobbying side of it, which, of course, is very much having an influence on government policy? And I think two obvious ones would be the the sort of so-called climate emergency. And then the other one would be the the, the push towards a plant-based or, or a vegan diet. The vegan diet is, is, is brought for by the fake food industry. That's, a, that's quite clearly... Um driven by industry um again how do you control a nation by via their via their stomachs if you can control the food you can control everything that's that's mm. their that's one of their absolute goals isn't it to actually c- control everything um climate change from my point of view we're just in the end of a mini ice age and the the, the, the it's all going to fluctuate i'm not saying we don't have any effect on the climate of course we do you know i I drove to Bristol the other day and the amount of traffic on the motorway was just abhorrent, really. And, and I did think to myself, where are these people going? <laughs> Why do they need to be traveling? So I, I'm not saying that we don't have an effect, but when we have, uh, I think there was a volcano in Iceland that went up, I don't know, five, six years ago. We couldn't fly to America or the planes were stopped. That pumped out more CO2 than we in, in, in three months than we had since the Industrial Revolution. Now, we're, are we really making that much of a difference? No. Um, you know, in comparison to China and India, you know, mm. they're poor nation. They're not going to stop. They're trying to increase their 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 value. There's no way we can we, – we're not stopping. You know, by you buying an electric car isn't going to make actually that much difference other than the fact that it's just you just put all the carbon in the front end rather than actually using it on the, end, the other end. Methane's the other thing with, with the animals. They're saying, you know, cows fart. Well – it doesn't matter what process goes, what the process, what they actually go through. That grass, when it grows and it decomposes, lets off methane, whether it's through a cow or whether it's in the ground. Mm. It's, it's, it's so the same process. But are you finding that via either through sort of regulatory pressure or financial incentive that you as a farmer are being pushed to conduct your business in a particular way on that front? Absolutely. Yeah, they are. They are very much trying to... to make us farm 
uh, what's the word environmentally so they're paying us to produce things that aren't aren't food uh i've got an example of a friend who's quite close to me he had he was reducing i think 500 tons of milling wheat every year which is quite hard to do because that's a really high quality high quality wheat um and you know you, you get losses you get bad weather you have a constant constant pest um you're spraying for pests all the time your fertilizers he actually gets paid now to grow sunflowers doesn't harvest them he just cuts them up and drops them into the ground he gets paid by the ta- taxpayer to produce sunflowers that gets gets put into the ground now that's wrong that's not how it should be we should we shouldn't be we shouldn't be doing i'm not i i, I take a subsidy where i get paid for not cutting the hedges which actually works brilliantly for me because i'm actually now in a in a in a in a program that i started before even that was even a thing i think to uh, to try and increase the hedge hedge, hedge row mass I see the the increase in the in the in the biomass of the uh, the the amount of um, insects and birds that have resulted from that. I'm not putting fertilizers and chemicals down, so the soil health is is better. Um, we're planting herbal lays, but that all all benefits the whole process. Um, so actually, that's a good that's a good thing to promote for for farmers to do. Um, but there are a lot of big arable farmers that are, are actually being told not to produce food. It, it does seem to me like they're trying to manufacture a food shortage. They're making dairy farming very hard to do with our carbon footprint and um, mm. all the legislation, the, the farm assurance. I think there's a lot of farmers now coming out of the forest, farm assurance because it's so restrictive. Dairy mm. farmers can't, unfortunately, because they won't wear sell their milk. So they are they are bound to it. But beef farmers and, and um, some of the arable farmers are just saying, yeah, we're not playing your games anymore. But we, we, we know how to do it. We don't need you to tell us how to do it. Mm. Um, so there is a lot of, lot, lot of legislation and lots of res- restrictions. There's a lot of people watching every single farmer, which, again, taxpayers paying for. You know, are they getting value for their money? We all know there's yeah. lots of people with clipboards following everybody else with, with, with clipboards. Um, so from my point of view, I'd, I'd, I'd be quite happy to have no government uh, intervention or, or um, help. Unfortunately, yeah. I need the help because I can't make everything else pay. And that's, that's, sure. the, that's where it's gone wrong. And as I said earlier, the perceived value of food, uh, I think I saw something where people um, at the start of the 19th century spent something like 18, 80% of their food went on, on everyday essentials clothes heating and, and food and now it's 20 percent. it may be maybe mm. a little bit different the last last year a uh, year or mm. two but the inference is that people need to have leisure two cars two holidays the the importance mm. of food and quality of food is completely in, in, inverse now and mm. the reality is food is too cheap it's too cheap yeah. you know if you if I, I said to someone the other day what do you think i should earn as a professional farmer and they had no answer for me they couldn't put me into any sort of bracket uh, and it's a really good question to ask because you know i've i've got i know people that are on 80 150 pounds a year they go to an office they do eight hours a day five days a week they don't actually produce anything and i'm not diminishing their jobs they're you know the jobs that they do for for they're there for a reason they're not actually producing anything they rely on me to produce the food for them once, twice, three times a day. And yet my value is right at the bottom. And 
I think there's been a concerted effort to devalue farmers. I mean, you, the whole, you never see a poor farmer. I'll line them up for you now. I can assure you there are a lot out there that are, well, I haven't taken a wage for four years. Why, 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 you know, I, I'm just doing it because I love what I'm doing. I cover my, cover my bills. I don't know. I, mean, I had one day off last year. And that was to go to the Raw Milk Producers Association AGM. So there wasn't even a day off. Um, and it's very hard to put us into any kind of a, like a bracket where you would say, oh, yeah, no, you, you should earn £150,000 a year and you should have six weeks holiday a year. I mean, it's just not going to happen. It just, it's, it's completely, that's, that's so far away from reality and what is what, of reality of today. But why shouldn't I? Well, shouldn't I? I'm a professional. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've got a business. I don't have a pension. I've, uh, you know, my assets are are basically my pension. Well, that's, that's only good when I sell it. Um, why should I not have um, time off and and be able to have a normal life just because food needs to be cheap since Second World War? You know, we can't have a can't have a hungry nation, but food needs to be cheap. But why should it be? Why should it be? You know, yeah, footballers um, are being paid stupid amounts of money, and the, uh, the, the 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 salaries are just what people tell me they earn. It's just it's just like fairy tale fairy tale figures. If I were to ask what your aspirations are for not just your business, but for the for the industry you're you're in, and for the exposure that the con- consumer has to to either the the products or the information what what do you what are you sort of hoping for i suppose in terms of a, an optimistic but realistic future in the next few years i want to see thousands of little farmers like me just starting up but we're small we're, we're small you know 60 cows we're, we're very small and there is a place for us in the in, in in the future so whether that be for food security or just pure nutritional basis but the only way it happens is if it's con- consumer-led. So anybody that's got a farm near to them, go and support them. Because when that lorry can't come from the central hub and get to your supermarket when there's a weather event, you need to make sure you've got food. And I think I don't know, it seems like they're trying to collapse the whole system. I, 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 in some ways, I want that to happen, but we're not prepared for it. So uh, I would like to see, and there is a growing micro-dairy um, uh, movement where people are realizing that the, the, the food is rubbish what they're, what they're buying and they want to produce their own but we need so many more people just to take on that there is a future in agriculture and producing good high quality nutrient dense foods um it's not easy and the whole inference needs to change on the value of that food uh, it needs to become more far more higher up people's uh, priorities um, but that is what I would like to see. Lots, lots of small farmers like us serving a local community and for them to be appreciated in the way that they the, 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 appreciate for what they're doing. Um, because I think this whole centralized system is great. A, while carbon's cheap and you can transport it, milk hundreds of miles and still make a profit out of it for the dairy companies. Um, as soon as that carbon, as soon as they start reducing the carbon availability or, or the, uh, increasing the price of it, and it becomes unsustainable. And we need to have, everybody needs to have food security and don't think it's not your responsibility because it is your responsibility. If you haven't got food in the larder and the shop hasn't got any, what are you going to do? And this is probably my big rallying call is 
food security is your is your responsibility and nobody else's. If you haven't got food in the cupboard, yeah. it's your fault. Nobody else's. Mm-hmm. Don't blame the supermarkets. They haven't got your back. They're just looking for their profits. And if they if they're not going to go out, out of their way to try and um, get the snow plows out to get in or or, or God forbid anything else uh, worse happens. If anything worse happens, then you know another pandemic or even a real pandemic would be an issue where people actually are genuinely ill and, and, and genuinely dying from what they're saying they're dying from. Um, that would be that would be a real issue. And where are you going to get your food from? Food, food, food yeah. security. I think is my biggest concern. And even on a personal level, I've put things in place to protect the farm if it all does go to, 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 to rubbish. Um, you know, if, if we ever do, and look at toilet rolls, people were fighting over toilet rolls and it wasn't even a symptom of, yeah. the, of the, the, the fake disease that they said it was. Um, so they were fighting over what happens when the people are hungry. Well, I become a target mm. then because I've got food that's walking around on four legs. I, I'm, I'm producing it every day. I've got chickens. When that man comes and said, I'm not allowed to go home until I've got food. And they're going to point to me and say, you're going to feed me today. And I'm going to say, no, I'm not. They're going to say, yes, you are. And then who's going to, who's the, the battle they will then become. Who's the, who's the best fighter. And like I say, I've got yeah. things in place that I will be the better fighter. And if you, if you want food, don't come here because you're going to end up with a bloody, very bloody nose, but there's going to be a lot of farms around that have no protection and, I, I fear genuinely for for, for for martial law or lawlessness, basically. If it turns to lawlessness, the whole country is just going to go very hungry very quickly. And you know, my local town here is t- 220,000 people, I think it is. What are they mm-hmm. going to eat? Where are they going to go? You know, we're on the map. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can get food from Perton. I can feed my customers. I can't feed any more. And that's not going to be a good yeah. enough answer for people. So I am genuinely, I am genuinely scared about food security and how people will react yeah. if or when it, if there isn't food in the supermarkets. Well, that's a very considered note to end on. I'm afraid we will have to wrap it up there, but I sense that viewers oh. and listeners will, will have been hanging on your every word. John, what people will definitely want to know is where can they follow what you're doing if they're that little bit too far away from you, or if they're close enough, how can they get to you? Okay, yeah, we've got a website, www.dorasdairy.co.uk, um, and uh, we're at a little place called Perton, just outside Swindon. We only obviously have a limited amount of uh, produce. We're only quite a small farm, uh, and we are at the moment selling all of our milk without any problems at all. Uh, we have, um, if people are interested in supporting what we're doing, we do have sponsor a calf um, programs where you can see how we bring our calves up. Um, we're also going to be doing a, a Doors Dairy Club so you can see what we do on a regular basis and what our, what, what our emphasis is on. Um, and we'll have a Facebook page, Instagram page, and hopefully we're going to be doing more social, social media to, to drive drive that so we can uh, the problem with this farm our size is staying profitable uh and you know as you well know everybody's costs are going up so we're trying to produce products that are not just food related and trying to i think it's important that businesses like ours and there's lots of us little, little farms around the country 
that are doing trying to do animal welfare properly, produce really high dense nutrient food. Um, but we're going to need help to stay in business. And the more businesses that we can promote, more businesses will start, and then we'll start to complete the cycle on the whole food security issue. So, yeah, if you can support us, absolutely, we'd be really grateful. John, thanks so much. We'll, we'll put all that in the notes to accompany the interview. You've been an absolutely terrific guest, and the, 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 the sheer volume of information that's come out has been outstanding, but also the, the, the complete passion with which you speak is very, very inspiring. So we wish you luck with your endeavours. And uh, I should just point out that um, all of this will be available at ukcolumn.org. And if you like what UK Column does, please do consider a subscription because it's those subscriptions that enable us to be able to put on fantastic interviews like this. So John, thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed doing it.